everyone and welcome to the second episode of the Real World Podcasts with your hosts Anishka, hello, Sophie, hi, and myself Esme. Today in our main segment we'll be discussing space tourism and its impact on space and the world. Um, we will also be discussing a famous astronaut in our introducing as well as talking about the Yellowstone um, supervolcano in the USA and finally finishing, finishing off with our climate change news story of the day. So we're going to start off today's episode with the introducing segment, which Esme will take us through, talking about a famous astronaut. Um, so I was going to talk about Helen Sharman, who is the first British astronaut and the first European woman in space. So she initially worked and got her degrees um, in chemistry and she worked as a chemist for the General Electric Company in London and then she worked for Mars dealing with the chocolate flavouring properties. Um, she then responded to a radio advertisement asking for applicants to be the first ever British space explorer and she was selected for the mission live on ITV on the 25th of November 1989 ahead of nearly 13,000 other applicants. The programme that she applied to be on was called Project Juno and was a cooperative Soviet Union British mission co-sponsored by um, British companies and the Soviet Union flying companies. So before flying, Sharman had spent 18 months in intensive flight training in Star City. And um, you may know uh, Tim Peake, who is commonly known as the first British astronaut in space. However, he was almost, um, his mission was almost 20 years after Helen Sharman. However, because it was part of the European Space Agency, it counted as the first British ESA astronaut. Um, since her mission, she's won many awards and she continues to teach children and the wider public about chemistry and her mission to space. So you may have heard of Yellowstone Supervolcano. Um, so Yellowstone is a volcano in the Yellowstone National Park in the USA. Um, and most of the park and volcano are actually in Wyoming state. Um, and there have ever only ever been three super eruptions to date um, at Yellowstone. And the volcano lies on the Yellowstone hotspot. Um, these eruptions, so the super eruptions are extremely rare. Um, however, when they do erupt, they have a very large magnitude. Um, and if it were to happen again today, the effects would be massive. Um, and if it were to occur, the volcanic ash could bury the surrounding states, destroying farms, crushing buildings, and potentially causing major changes in the climate. Um, however, the likelihood of a supervolcano eruption occurring is exceptionally rare um, and may not actually ever happen again, so it may just remain extinct. So you don't have to worry. So I will be taking you through the climate change story of today. So the US, UK and Norwegian governments are launching a $1 billion fundraising initiatives for the world's tropical rainforests. They're aiming to tackle deforestation, reduce emissions, increase biodiversity and overall help the subtropical and tropical rainforests. It was introduced by Joe Biden at the virtual White House Climate Summit on Earth Day and he's labelled it the LEAF Coalition, LEAF standing for Lowering Emissions by Accelerating Forest Finance. Um, and I read some of the quotations on the front page and they were saying things like they want to raise global climate ambition, 
contribute to halting tropical and subtropical deforestation um, and it's a voluntary global coalition bringing together companies and governments to provide finance for tropical and subtropical forest protections at a scale not seen before. So it sounds like a great initiative put together by these governments and hopefully it'll help with deforestation of these rainforests. Um, there was a quote from the Norwegian Prime Minister Erna Solberg which I thought was quite interesting, saying tropical, rainfor tropical forests are indispensable to fight climate change and biodiversity loss and have received far less attention and finance than they deserve, which I think is definitely true. So I'm really great. I'm really happy that they're all working together to solve this issue. Um, so Anushka, why do you think it's significant that these countries in particular are coming up with agreements and coalitions to tackle this? It's a really good question. Um, I feel like because the countries involved in this, like the UK and the US, and they're also encouraging other nations and states to, to join the coalition, um, they're obviously quite developed countries and up there and the most developed in the world. And often the most developed countries are the one causing most of these climate issues, especially like around deforestation by demanding these goods from the lower income countries, um, which have to deforest their forests so I think it's really great they're starting to take responsibility because ultimately the most developed countries aren't going to face the frontage of the side effects of these issues it's the it's the lower developed ones that are and also there's been a massive amount of deforestation um, I found out that roughly the size of the Netherlands was deforested between 2019 and 2020 which is 4.2 million hectares of humid forest which is vital for carbon storage and biodiversity. Um, so I think it's a really important time for this to be happening. So now we're gonna move into the main segment of today's episode, which is around space travel, debris, tourism, and Sophie's gonna start us off. Okay, so what is space tourism? Space tourism is the activity of traveling into space for recreational purposes. Um, so as technology has advanced, it's becoming more evident that we'll one day actually be able to travel into space purely for leisure rather than research purposes. Um, so many different companies are looking into this idea, um, but one of the most noticeable is Virgin Galactic. Um, and it's an incredibly expensive industry, so very few companies are actually able to invest. Um, but when they do actually begin, flights will likely cost over $250,000, um, but it would likely decrease in price over time. Um, and it will be an amazing experience, probably not lasting that long, um, but and it won't be particularly accessible due to the price um, but for those who can afford it um, it will likely be a short experience with incredible views of the earth would you like to go to space Sophie um, perhaps one day yes um, but I think <laughs> at that price it's not particularly <laughs> I think it's kind of terrifying yeah um, I just wanted to add the first um, the first ever space tourist was a US millionaire unsurprisingly um, called Dennis Tito, who went to space um, on a Russian Soyuz rocket in on April the 30th in 2001. Okay, so I'm going to move on to talking about space, de space debris and its impacts. So space debris is basically any piece of machinery or debris left by humans in space. Um, so this can be from uh, departed bits of rocket ships or satellites or whatever. You know, when they split, when they're going yeah, <laughs> whatever, whatever we've left up in rubbish, space. Basically. Exactly. Um, and it remains in orbit until it re-enters the atmosphere 
and basically burns up and disintegrates. Um, so ones that are further out of the Earth's atmosphere can take longer to circle, even hundreds or thousands of years, but some may take a few years or even a few months. Um, additional space junk can also be created from collisions of existing debris. So if satellites collide, they'll break off into lots of other little bits of rubbish, um, which can create lots of new debris. So there are currently 128 million pieces of debris smaller than one centimeter, 900,000 pieces from one to 10 centimeters, and debris larger than 10 centimeters, there's 34,000 pieces which is obviously quite a lot that we're polluting and there's more going up all the time. So now I'm going to discuss a bit around dangers that may be caused by space debris. So currently there's not a huge risk to exploration efforts in space um, because they're aware of what's up there and they can navigate around it. Um, but the biggest danger it poses is to other satellites in orbit, partially because it could collide with them and mean that they're destroyed and things like GPS that allow the satellites allowed to happen down here could not work anymore if they're destroyed. Um, so because of this, hundreds of collision avoidance maneuvers are performed every year on these satellites so, so that they won't collide, um, which includes the International Space Station being maneuvered to stop collisions. So there are a few efforts to clean up this debris. Um, the UN want all companies to remove their satellites within 25 years of their mission ending. And there are plans also to use harpoons and a net to pull down <laughs> these debris yeah. and so they can burn in the atmosphere. Seems like quite a simple strategy to yeah. get down, you know, pieces of equipment that probably take years to, um, to create. Yeah. Um, but this would only really work on larger debris, not the smaller ones. Um, instead of waiting for them to naturally re-enter the atmosphere. I also came along at Kessler syndrome, which was proposed by a NASA scientist and said that if there was too much space debris, it could initiate a chain reaction where more and more objects collide and more debris is created, kind of like what I was talking about before. And this could consequently make the Earth's orbit unstable, which would pose an extreme threat to our world, basically. So to our existence. To our existence, <laughs> but there are things that we can do and it kind of depends how long we leave it how large the impacts are going to be imagine our existence being being threatened by space rubbish that we put up there <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think it's also important to consider in the context of space tourism like is it okay for us to go up and potentially pollute space even more than it already has been yeah and going on to mars and the moon and things that we've left. I came across a website of random artifacts that are left on the moon and it was like a hawk's feather and random stuff that we basically left from our journeys up there. I think you can send your name to Mars. There's a website. Yeah, there uh, is. So Get a boarding pass. Your, yeah. <laughs> um, so talking about kind of how space junk and space tourism um, intersect, I'm going to give some recommendations of some podcasts to listen to. Um, after you've listened to ours obviously, yes, obviously <laughs> alongside our brilliant podcast um, so the first one is a BBC Space Junk podcast um, which is talking about can space ever be environmentally friendly so I've, as we've seen um, with tourism on land um, on our planet there are some serious issues caused so we can see if we will replicate this 
um, and all that can or um, can we learn from our mistakes? Um, the Royal Observatory Greenwich podcast um, produces a monthly sky watching guide as well as inviting on some really cool guests and experts to discuss space. And the Supermassive podcast um, discusses the latest astronomy research in their monthly podcast um, for the Royal Astronomer Astronomical <laughs> Society. Um, and they have astronomy advice, answers to the biggest cosmic questions, and snippets from the Royal Astronomical, Ast Astronomical. Astronomical. <laughs> sorry, Society's history. Thank you so much for getting to the end of this episode. We really hope you enjoyed it, maybe learned something, had a good time listening to us muck about on the podcast. <laughs> um, and we hope to see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.